Uh, it's good to see you. Good to see that you uh, didn't go sunbathing this morning instead. It's a beautiful day. Um, I find it really helpful when I think about the Christian life um, to, I know it's become a bit of a cliche, but to think of our life as a journey. You know, we, we come to know God um, we, we give our lives to him, we ask him to forgive us of our sins and we start on um, a journey, a walk with God to a certain destination and the Bible talks a lot about walking um, in, you know, walking with God and things like that, walking in the spirit and, uh, and I was just remembering an, um, a book many of us might know, some of us maybe younger might not know about it, it's the sixth biggest selling book ever. Anyone remember what that is? Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks, Jim. And um, if, if you've been in the church a while, you remember we actually did the play up to a point in the story anyway, where Daniel played this character called Christian, um, who started off on a journey. And the, the story is pretty much about there's this man called Christian and he, uh, or the, the narrator of the book has a dream of this man called Christian, and he's in, a, he's in a, uh, a city, the city of destruction, and he's become very aware that he's uh, a sinner, if you like, and he's under judgment, and he has to, to do something about it. He meets a man called Evangelist, who says to him, look, you need to go to the celestial city, um, otherwise known as Mount Zion. So he starts on this journey. He tries to persuade his wife and children to come, but they don't want to come. Um, they actually go in the second part of that book, if you know the book. And um, anyway, he goes on this journey and they, he meets various people. Um, he meets uh, a couple of friends. One friend is called Hopeful. The other friend is called Faithful. But they meet other people that are trying to get in the way of this journey. You've got Worldly Wise, who's one character. Um, and then there's Talkative, you know, the, the, the person who just talks a lot and doesn't do anything. Um, there's atheists and there's all these various people and they meet dangers. He gets caught in the slough of despondency. He gets locked up in the castle of despair and he gets out the castle of despair because he's got the key of promise. And um, he gets out of there and it goes for all this great um, picture of this journey. Um, he even fights this character called Apollyon with this sword. And it's, it's actually a really good story. It's a really good picture uh, and John Bunyan, who wrote it, he uses these character names by using their actual words like hopeful and faithful. And I think there's someone called pride or um, all these kind of things. And it's a great picture of, of, our, of our journey. And so we are walking with God. And Psalm 84 verse 5 says, this is the NIV, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And it's a, again, it's a, it's, if you read the psalm, it tells you that we go on a journey. We are journeying together, sometimes we say, as a church or as believers, when we, we walk with one another and we support one another on the journey of knowing God. And for Christian, he, he goes through a time where he comes out and he comes to this, walks up these big mountains and he's carrying this big burden on his back. Um, all this way, he's heavy laden and he comes to this cross and as he comes to the cross, which is sort of in the middle of his story, this burden falls off and he's relieved, but he still has a journey to go. And so for many of us, maybe we're journeying up to the cross, we're carrying our burdens, but for others, we've come to the cross and our burdens are gone, but we're still journeying. 
We're still moving forward. We set our hearts on pilgrimage. We set our hearts on this, on journeying the road to Zion, to, um, to heaven, if you like. And even Paul, who wrote many of the letters, he, 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 he knew that he was journeying and he knew he wasn't there yet. So if Paul the Apostle knew that he wasn't there yet, I'll read this is his Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was journeying and he knew that he had somewhere to go and he had to push forward at times and he had to lay aside his memories of his past in order to push forward. So if you didn't know this morning, you're journeying with God. And the word that God's put quite clearly on my mind is, and and I'm using this title, Following in the Footsteps. Following in the Footsteps. And it's, it's a phrase that's been in my mind a bit. And uh, I was watching a TV programme the other day and this dad and his son are crossing over this snowy mountain and he says to his son, he says, put your feet in my footsteps because then you won't fall. You won't fall down a a hidden, uh, what they call it? That crevice. Crevice. Um, Falling in the footsteps. You know, there are many people that have gone before us in, in their experience of God. And there are many people in this room that have known the Lord longer than others. And whenever we walk, we leave footprints behind us. And when we're looking ahead, um, are we looking for the footprints of others? So I want us to think about this, this picture. And I think, you know, we are blessed not only to know other people that have gone ahead, um, whether in this church or outside of this church, but we can also look at the Scriptures. And, and, and Paul said himself, he said to his, his followers, he said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Or he could say, walk in my footsteps as I'm walking in the footsteps of Christ. And the Hebrew writers, uh, Hebrews writer said, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Very important distinction. Don't just follow anyone because they could be leading you up a garden path. Um, but in other words, look at their life John says uh, in 3 John 1, 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So if we were to take a moment and look around and not, don't say anything, but you know, in your minds think, you know, who are the people maybe that you could say, do you know what, I, I, not I want to be like that person because we're trying to be like other people, but... I want to learn from their journey. I want to follow in footsteps. And maybe there's people that you've listened to or you talk to that you want to follow in their footsteps. See you later, Bones. You coming back? Two minutes. We'll wait for you. All right. But the, the person I want us to think about and I want us to look at his life is Abraham. And uh, just spend a bit of time and you can read this in chapter 12 and 13. Um, and my encouragement this morning is, are you going to follow in his footsteps um, and learn from him? 
And we don't just do everything that we see, we learn from their lives. And I think we need to learn from Abraham. So rather than reading the whole passage, I am going to talk about it. And I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, have your Bibles open so you can see that I'm telling you the truth. Um, but to read it, I'd, um, I've, I've got some slides instead. But here's, here's where I want to start. Abraham was, if you like, the founder of the Jewish faith, if you didn't know. Um, he, he was an incredible man. He was um, one of the patriarchs, Abraham, and then his son Isaac and his son Jacob. If you speak to any Jewish person, they would be understood as the patriarchs. But Abraham was special. He was called of God. He was called out of a place called Ur. And, um, and Ur was a, was a really nice place to live. He probably had quite a bit of money. He would, they would have had central heating in their homes. And sometimes we think that in the past, they just all lived in mud huts. But he had a very nice home. And God called him. He said to him, um, Abraham, come out from Ur. And you read this in chapter 12. And he says, uh, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. And um, do you want to put the first slide up, Dave, please? And so I want to just, this, this is the travels of, of um, Abraham. He went from Ur, he went to Haran, and um, he went with Ur with his father to Haran. They all moved as a whole um, family. And then in Haran, um, his father died. And then his fa- uh, once his father dies, Abraham then moved on to the, uh, to the Oaks of Moreh or Shechem. And he created, uh, built this altar and he worshipped God. And the thing to keep into account here as well, or to, to think about, is that in Ur, they didn't worship God. They worshipped a number of God. One of them, uh, it's kind of like a bit funny, um, the God of Ur, his father, uh, sorry, Terah, his father, was a God called Nana. Um, I find that quite funny, no? Um, otherwise, interestingly, the other name for that God was Sin. Um, and so their family worshipped Sin, much like our world does, if you want to break that open and think about that philosophically. Um, and then, so when um, Terah moved to Haran and he died there, that released Abraham now because he was now the, um, the leader of his family to go where God had called him to go. And they were going on the way to Canaan where God had called them. And they came to the Oaks of Morah and that's where he built an altar and that's where he worshipped God. He chose to worship God, the God, the one and only God, the God that we know of um, today. And then he moved from there and he camped in between Bethel and Ai. And then there was this great famine, so he went down to Egypt for a bit. He got into a bit of trouble because he started to lie about his wife and things like this. And then he came out and finally Negev went back to Bethel and Ai until he moved somewhere else. Now I know, I can see on your faces, this is fascinating, John. Um, uh, What has this got to do with me? But on the next slide, this is what these names, I love doing this. I love finding these things about the Bible. These are what these names mean. Thanks, Dave, for the next one. Right, so Ur means to give light. Um, you can write this down if you want. Um, Haran means a parched land. Moray means teaching and Shechem means shoulder. 
Bethel means the house of God, and Ai was a whole ruins. You could, you could say it's a city of destruction or a house of ruins. Um, Egypt means tribulations. For, for what, when you do a lot of study, Egypt often represents the world. For, the, for who um, Moses is writing for, which is the children of Israel, Egypt would have reminded them of their past tribulations of slavery. So you've got um, uh, tribulations there. Then the Geba is a desert in the south, or uh, people disagree with that, and then Bethel and Ai, house of God and ruins. After that, he goes to Hebron, which I'll talk a bit about later. But again, this is fascinating, isn't it? It's great. But what do these words mean? And I want to um, tell you what these words mean, because what we will see is this journey of Abraham, and underlying this story is something we can learn about. Okay? You with me? Good. So, uh, go to the next slide, Dave. Okay, this is where we're going. So, Ur. Ur was in this time where God spoke to Abraham. Stephen, when he was um, doing his preaching in Acts chapter 7, he says that God spoke to Abraham in Ur. So this is before Abraham actually went on his own. God spoke to him in Ur. He spoke to him uh, when he was living under his father's um, uh, authority. And he spoke to him and he gave him a promise. And he he called him out. He says, I'm going to make a great nation. And what Ur represents, there is a time when we will receive or have received a revelation which basically means when the lights switch on, where God is going to speak to us or has spoken to us and given us a promise, he's calling us. And Daniel spoke last week about the call of God. Um, So if you weren't here last week, listen to that. God calls us out. He calls us into something. Now, what we need to think about is this. We can come into church or we can come into the things of God from our life that we lived in the world and God speaks to us He reveals the truth to us and on that point, there is a general call into a journey with God for a destination. Every single one of us has a purpose ordained and set by God that we have got something to do for him. We have a place that he wants us to go to. So there is something for us and for people that have no purpose in life, this is wonderful good news. But it comes by this place of revelation where the lights go on. So Ur means to give light. So and God calls us out of sin. Yeah, Nana. And he calls us into promise, into his plans and into his provision. So if you read the story, you'll see that what happened was where Abraham had many livestock and wherever he went, that livestock increased. So when they went from Haran, they moved. There was, there was Abraham, his wife Sarah, and his nephew Lot. And then a whole household, servants, sheep, cattle, and everything. So God blessed them, and he provided for them, and he went out. And so then he went from there to Haran, and this is where his dad uh, died. And the culture of the day was that you couldn't really go anywhere because you came under the authority of the... Um, the father of the family, and when the father went to it, the provision went to the firstborn, and the firstborn essentially led the family. And so we see <clears throat> Abraham is in Haran, and I wonder how long he was in Haran. I don't know how long he was in Haran. But last week, Daniel was talking about how when God calls you, sometimes there's a waiting period. 
And it's a, it can feel a bit dry. It can feel a bit, you know, what, what am I waiting for? So David, he talked about David, had to wait for many years before he could become king. Um, Jesus, when he knew of his calling at 12 years old, he worked as a carpenter for his parents for 18 years. And that's a long time, 18 years. And maybe God's spoken to you a promise and you're still waiting. Well, if Jesus waited for 18 years, Abraham himself, because uh, part of the promise was, I will make of you a nation, means he had to have a child. He launched out when he was about 75 years old. He had to wait till he was about, well, at least 25 years, till he had a child. He had a child at 100 years old. A waiting period. So these are the footsteps we're going in. If you're going through a waiting period at the moment, if you're going through a dry, parched time at the moment, trust in the Lord. It's probably because you're on the path and you're walking in the footsteps. So and in these times, you have to remember the promises of God. Remember that it's His work in us, which is the most important thing than our work for Him. You know, God works in us to will and to have His good pleasure. And sometimes you've got to wait for the work of God to be done in us before we can do the work of God for him. And that's often that happens in the waiting time. So he goes from there to the, um, uh, it says in verse 6, if just to tell you this is in the scriptures, Abraham passed through the land at, to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. And at that time Canaanites were in the land. See, this is the time of the learning time, the teaching time. This is the time where Jesus is teaching us to, as it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the Christian walk is a walk with Jesus. And the yoke was uh, like a big block of wood, many of us I think know this, that would join two oaks together and it would keep the two, two oaks together, two oxes together, I think, and they would walk in the, in the same way. You couldn't have one go that way, one go that way. They would stay in the same way. And we are yoked with Christ. And a lot of our learning as Christians is to deny ourselves and lean on and yield to Christ. Do you recognise that? God will keep coming back to you and saying, you've got to trust me. So we go through this period, and we're always going through this period, I think, of learning and trusting. And there's a couple of things that happen in this place. Um, you can see it's in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Two things happened. God reiterates the promise. When you're going through that learning period, you listen out for the promise of God. He will remind you. He will say, listen, I'm going to do this. I've promised you I'm going to do it. You've got to keep sticking with me. Don't give up because you're being restricted by this yoke. You've got to learn to do the things that I'm telling you to do. That's why he says, I'll take your burden and you take mine. And so he reiterates a promise. And the other thing he does, he builds an altar and worships God. He sets in stone his agreement with the Lord and his worship of God. He's saying, God, okay, 
I'm going to believe you. I'm setting in stone. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to worship you. And worship is when we open up our hearts to God, amongst many other things, and devote ourselves to him again and again. And worship is, you know, uh, is a fantastic way of finding peace and joy again. When we just come before the Lord and just love him. And we just let all of our worries just go. And, uh, and I trust that you know that, not just on a Sunday, but in your day to day. And I think this seems to be one of the greatest works of God. It's to teach a man or woman um, to trust him in, in spite of what they see. Abraham turns up in Canaan. He sees this land full of these Canaanites. He's about 75, maybe 80 years old by this time. And God says, your offspring will have this land. And you see everything going on and all you've got is this, what seems to be faint to promise. It's getting tougher and tougher to trust the Lord. And I think that's where you see the miracle of God. Nothing is impossible for God, amen? So whatever we see, whatever's going on with our eyes, we trust in the Lord. The other thing that came to my mind is Romans 12 says, don't despise the discipline of the Lord or the teaching or the training of the Lord. Things get tough when God disciplines us and teaches us. So he goes from there and then he camps between Bethel and Ai, uh, between the house of God and the house of ruin. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I identify with this. I find being a Christian on this earth is like camping between the house of God and the house of ruin. I would like to, it makes me think, why did he not live in Bethel? Why didn't he go and live in the house of God? But I don't think that we, we can in this, in this world. The, Jesus said that we are in the world, but not of the world. We are, uh, the Bible tells us about we are like um, um, aliens in, in a foreign land. We, we know where our home is, and we realise our home is in heaven, our home isn't on the earth. And we're kind of in between because we can see the, the world and we live in the world, but yet we know God and we see the heavenlies, but yet we're not in heaven. And we're in this kind of position between the two. And we, can, we know the pull of, the, of, the, of uh, if you like, the house of ruin, but our goal is to keep leaning on God and drawing from the house of God. Do you identify with that? I see a few, a few nods. And what, is, what does he do in this place? So he's, he says he moves uh, with Bethel on the west and they are on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is his second altar. And called upon the name of the Lord. Worship. Worship, again, keeps our minds on Jesus. Um, if we're not regularly worshipping, if we're not regularly bringing our hearts and minds before the Lord, remembering his greatness, his glory, his wonder, his awe, his majesty, his mighty power, we will get drawn to the things of the world. The things of the world, it's like, uh, think of it like this, that the... The, the, God is like this silent whisper that speaks absolute truth and brings power. The, the world is like this noise and, and uh, everything that seems to just distract us, come and says a lot but has no substance. And as Christians, we're listening out for the word of the Lord in the midst of the noise. And the way you do that, you, you bring yourself into a place. Um, this is, these are the worshippers, these are the worldly people. We're finding the quietness of our hearts and listen. We're focusing towards Bethel, whereas this lot is so distracted by the things of the world. 
so he worships. See, if we're not spent, and this is an old Sunday school thing, okay? If we're not giving time for God to spend with God, to listen to God, we'll get drawn into the world. So he goes to him, now this famine occurs. Now it says here in verse 10, there was famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now it doesn't say that God told him to go. It doesn't say that God didn't tell him to go. We don't know what made his decision. But he was in a place, there was famine, he has lots of livestock, what is a man to do? So he goes to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt and he gets into a bit of trouble because he starts to worry. He says that my 80-year-old wife, or 60-year-old, I don't know how old she was this time, she would have been getting on a bit, um, is very attractive. And the Egyptians are going to want my wife. So in order to protect myself, can you pretend not to be my husband? Um, and therefore I am protected. Can you see where he's gone? He's gone completely into fear, completely into self, and he's completely neglecting his responsibilities. So somewhere along the line, he stepped out of the peace of God. Somewhere along the line, he's looked at the, at the situation, he's got and fears come in. Now, interestingly, his son Isaac had this same situation, but God said to him, don't go down to Egypt. So instead, he went to the Philistines, and he did exactly the same thing. But... There are times, I think, you know, when tribulations come, troubles come. In, in Pilgrim's Progress, there was trouble all the, all the way. It was the sloughs of despondency, castle of despair, fighting the monster Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation, climbing the mountains of this and that and dodging the mountains of error and all these kind of things. Forever there's going to be something. And for, for Abraham, it was in the form of a a famine. What is a man or woman to do? See, I think Egypt often represents the world. In Scripture, I said that before. For the Israelites, it represents the past. Um, and I think there are two of the, of the places that we can go. We go into the world, we look for natural answers, or we go back to old habits. Natural answers are old habits, where the the way of God is, what is God saying to you? See, Isaac, when you look at Isaac, if you want to read the story of Abraham's son Isaac, Isaac had a gift of finding water. God blessed him. Wherever he went, he dug a, a well and he found water. And then an enemy would come and then just fill it up or chase, chase him away, uh, away. He'd come to another place, he'd dig a hole and then he'd find water. God blessed him. Even in the famines, even in the dry periods, God blessed him with water. Whereas Abraham has diverted. This is where if we're going to walk in the footsteps of someone, you've got to know what is right. He went down to Egypt. I think he should have gone to the Lord. Why did he not build, go to his altar or build an altar and say, Lord, you are the provider of heaven and earth. So there will be difficulties. There will be um, uh, trouble. And our... Our response is to seek the Lord. You know, we can't have victories without something to conquer. See, if we don't have anything to conquer, we will never have a victory. Now, I know I just said the same thing backwards, but I'm making a point. Because sometimes I think, you know, what do you want in life? Do you just want to have a status quo? 
I'm fine where I'm at. But in a journey where you're always moving forward, it's like, I've never been to Holland, well, I have, probably when I was a youngster, but as I understand it, it's flat as a pancake. And can you imagine if you're just, great if you're cycling, but you're just going on a flat pancake um, ground all that way, and you, there's something about the valleys and the mountains and the, that, for me, just makes it, the whole experience so beautiful. But that's just me. I think life, Jesus said, I have come to that you may have life and life in abundance. And someone once said, you know, this is what life is. But when Jesus comes on, this is what life is. Like, there are times of great, amazing times, but there's times of real challenges. But God is growing us and moving us forward. I, I, uh, I read uh, this quote that in the presence, of, the presence of enemies brings the presence of God. And I also heard it the other way around. The presence of God brings the presence of enemies. So when we're going deeper into God, there's always going to be trouble. But Jesus, I think it was Jesus said, but do not fear for I've overcome the world. So there are going to be these difficulties in our journey. He comes out of Egypt and he's finding his way back. And I, you know, it's wonderful that even if we go off and we've gone down into Egypt, we're now lying and we're putting our... Uh, our dependence in jeopardy and things like God will lead us back. And um, <clears throat> see, one of the things I want to make a point here is that he, he went back to Bethel and Ai to camp there. He went back to that point where he last worshipped God, where he last, last thought that was a time when I knew God was working in my life. Because there's, there's, you know, I talked about going back to old habits. This is like the, the good version. If you get lost along the way, but well, when was God working in your life? Get back to what you were doing then and start from there because maybe that's where you, is the secret. That's your place of the altar. That's your place between Bethel and Ai. He went back. And I think, you know, maybe for you um, it's, there's a personal thing there, meeting with people, just going and just sharing what's going on in your life. Maybe it's getting back into the meetings at church or maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, maybe it's getting back and spending time with the Lord like you used to or reading the Bible like you used to. But maybe there was something that you were doing. And um, <clears throat> I, when I think about this journey, I'm convinced that I wasn't made to journey this on my own. Christian in, in the... the uh, Pilgrim's Progress did not journey on his own. And we need people. We need people around us to journey with us. And we learn from others. We look to others. As I say, and we follow in the footprints of others. So he goes back to uh, Bethel. And, um, <clears throat> and what happens next is he comes to Bethel and then he has this conversation. I'll read some of it so you can hear it. Um, In verse 3 of chapter 13, and he journeyed as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So he worships again. He's come back now into that place of worshipping God. God, you're, 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 I'm yours. And I think by this time he's learnt a big lesson. And he's saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your promises. And this is how I know that. He says, and Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. 
so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. All right, so, and then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. In other words, saying, look, imagine they go up into this hillside and and he says, Lot, this is how it could have been. Lot, God has given this land to me and my offspring. You need to make your way out of Canaan. Or, Lot, I'm the daddy. You need to do what I tell you. You need to go. Or he could have looked around and he said, well, that looks the most wonderful in the valleys over there. That looks the most beautiful. Well, I'll have that, Lot. You can have the desert place. But he didn't. He said, Lot, you choose. Wherever you don't go, I'll go. And that says a lot to me. That says he knew the promise of God. I will give this land to your offspring. He knew that God was his provider. He'd seen what it's like when he gets in control. And then he says, so he says, you know what? I'm going I'm to trust God. I'm even going to give you the choice. And he gave Lot the choice. Lot chose the really nice bet, camped right close to a, to a, a town called Sodom. <clears throat> In the end, Lot, if you notice, he lost everything. Came out of that city with just himself and his two daughters. <clears throat> and so, and Abraham trusted the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him again. He said, and the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham in verse 14 in chapter 13, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you. To your offspring forever, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamah, which were at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. See, not only did he say, Lot, you choose, there were other people living in the land, and God said, look everywhere. Everything is yours. He goes into more detail. This this land is going to be full of your descendants. This is before he had a child, by the way. And here we have this wonderful promise that God expands and he's given there a new name. He was Abraham, then he became Abraham. And he moves into this place called Mamah. Now, if we were to recap this journey, we we can see there's, there's a time where God calls us. There's a time where we have to wait for God to bring certain things about. We can be a bit impatient. God will teach us. That can be difficult. We go through um, this uh, position between God's house and the world and we're having to learn to look to God, always looking to God. It's always going to be the pull of temptation, the pull of the world, but we look to God. And when we get into it and we get into trouble and difficulty, God will lead us back and he will cause us to trust him. And then we're back where we were in that place, uh, worshipping him. Um, Now... Why the journey? See, this is all very interesting. I can, you know, it's a great little thing we can remember. But why this journey? 
And this is why I want to keep Hebron to last. In the end, he, he camps in Hebron. And <clears throat> there was something said of, of Hebron, uh, of, of Abraham, which is, uh, was said by James. This is in 2.23. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. I don't know about you, but whether you uh, consider yourself a friend of God, I know we sung it at the beginning. I am a friend of God. But what is the purpose for this journey that we're on? Is it that we start to do great and amazing things? Oh, maybe that's a byproduct. Is it that we become really perfected in our being? Well, I think that's uh, a wonderful thing as well. Eventually, when we're in heaven, we'll be perfected. Is it that we grow the church? Oh, maybe again, that might be a byproduct. But what is it? Where was it that Abraham got to that if this is, we're going to follow in his footsteps, where are we going to get to like Abraham? Well, I wonder if it's Hebron. And Hebron means this. Any guesses? Any guesses on Hebron? No one? Come on, Mark. Hebron means friendship. He set his camp and he stayed settled in friendship friends of God. I think that's amazing. John, in John 15, 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Friends. See, the whole purpose of what you're going through, if you're going through stuff, or the whole reason that you've got to stand here and say, am I moving forward in my journey with God? You know, if, if Paul had to move forward, I've got to look at my own life and say, if I ever feel as though I've made it, then I'm in error. Um, but I don't even need to get there because I know that I'm not there. I know that there's more that I want to move into. I can tell you why, because I don't have as much faith as I wish I had. I don't have as much discipline in the things of God that I wish I had. And I don't have an experience of his person as, as much as I wish I had. So I know that I'm not there yet. So I'm like Paul, I take Paul's encouragement. I'm pressing on to lay hold of Christ for which he has laid hold of me. And what's he laid hold of me for? What is the call of God on my life and on your life is that we are his friends. The God of the universe seeks to be our friends. You know, there's that verse in uh, Matthew, uh, I think it's seven, um, where it says, many in the, in the last day, in the day of judgment, many will come to me and say, Lord, did we not, you know, go to church every week? Uh, did we not preach in your name? Did we not do this and that in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? You know, cast out demons in your name? And, and Jesus said, and I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Depart from me, because you're not my friend. We can pursue doing great works and doing good things, but actually, do you know Jesus? And if you're wondering why you're going through something, it's because God has called you to be his friend. And that should be the goal of our hearts. That should be the goal of your heart as a Christian is that you become friends of God. See, that's where I, I see Abraham. And Abraham is known to be the friend of God. But Jesus calls me friend. So when we sing that song, I am a friend of God, it's not some pie in the sky thing. He is my friend. He is my king. He is my God, he is my Lord, but he is my friend. Amen. 
So we can all be friends of God. This is the blessing here. I wonder, what are the footprints that you're following in? Or maybe I can ask you this. Did you know you're leaving footprints behind you that others may follow you in? And there's a responsibility, particularly not just for us leaders, but for us as a church. People will look at you and say, okay, I'll do what that guy does. I'll do what that lady does. I'll follow that lady. And that's a, a privilege and that's also a responsibility. But maybe I want to leave this, you know, um, Jesus has left some really large footprints for us to follow in. And I want to encourage us to follow, in, us, follow them, to walk in them. Shall we pray? Father, I just want to say thank you that you have set an example in Jesus. But not only in Jesus, but in Paul, in Abraham, Lord, in the people that, even people that we know that are living and breathing today, Lord, you set examples. We see in people's lives how you are growing them and making them more like you. Lord, we can learn from one another. We can follow one another in order that we may know you more. But Lord, I pray that everyone here might know that the Christian life, Lord, that you have made a way through your sacrifice is not that we may just simply serve you which is our joy, or to come and learn about you, which is also great, but it's to know you and to know you as our friend. Lord, and everyone here, Lord, today can be your friend. Lord, I want to thank you for that wonderful gospel. You ask us, Lord, not to become good, but to know you, that you may make us good. Lord, you get us on that journey, Lord, that we may know you, that we may know you more. So Lord, will you just come and minister by your Holy Spirit? Father, will you provoke us that we might move on in you in these days? Learn from others. In Jesus' name, amen.